Go ahead your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. And this evening, by God's grace, I will be preaching to you on the doctrine of adoption. And when I say adoption, I don't mean that I'll be speaking on the beauty and goodness of human-to-human adoption, as good as that is. Rather, I'll be teaching about the doctrine of divine adoption, right? That is God's gracious adopting sinners, graciously adopting sinners into his family through Jesus Christ. Now, this doctrine of adoption uh, tends to be somewhat of a neglected doctrine, Um, Now, I'm not saying that it's never discussed by theologians and pastors. It it is, right? But it is not spoken of as often as, say, the doctrines of justification or sanctification, right? Now, I've personally never dedicated a full sermon to this doctrine before today, right? So as much as people like to say or as Christians like to say, I am a child of God, and we like to say that. We enjoy saying that. A lot of us haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking through that. Right? And what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Um, so this doctrine is just as important as any other doctrine. You see, adoption is the result of justification and also the prelude to sanctification. So we shouldn't leave this one out. Not only that, but the doctrine of adoption, uh, it, it's, it's really full of beauty and it's full of grace. It provides a solid ground for us to rest on. And that ground is the fatherly love of God towards his children. This doctrine provides us with the knowledge of the love of God for us. And it's a comfort to us, right, in all of our trials and all of our hardships. And it gives us a great reason to praise our God and Father for his grace, right? To, to know that we've been adopted into God's household is a great source of, source of joy for the believer. And we should be a people who are constantly rejoicing in the Lord for all that he's done for us. And I want every believer here to be full of that joy. And so I want to preach on the doctrine of adoption to you. I want you to be full of joy in the Lord. But beyond that, I want to teach you about this doctrine because I know that some of us don't live in the daily knowledge that we are the sons of God. And yes, I said sons and not sons and daughters. Although there are some texts that talk about God being a father uh, and having daughters, right? Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul uses the language of sons because it is sons who receive the promised inheritance from the Father. Right, So ladies, you are sons in a spiritual sense. You have been adopted as sons. But some of us don't live in the daily knowledge that we are sons. And what I mean is this. We often don't understand that in Christ we are the beloved of God. We often, or rather we don't often understand that we are now in this moment his children. And because of that, I fear that many of us don't view God as our father. Rather, we view him as a slave master. Now, I know for a fact that many of us, especially me, often find ourselves living with this feeling that God merely tolerates us. Right? That he has promised to save us because of Christ, but he doesn't really like us very much. Many of us believe that he will save us from hell because he has declared us righteous through faith in Christ, but apart from saving us, he doesn't really want very much to do with us. And though most of us wouldn't write that down on paper if we were given some kind of theology test, nevertheless, we feel this way in our hearts. And it's revealed in that we often feel like God is distant or 
that he desires to punish us or that he never smiles upon us but is only always disappointed in us. Those are ways that this feeling manifests itself. But brothers and sisters, that's simply not true. It's not true. God has made us his children by grace and he loves his kids. He loves his children. And that's what I just want to try to scratch the surface on this evening. I want us to consider this doctrine of adoption and I want us to consider it in three ways. Right, so here's an old school Puritan style sermon headings. First, we're going to consider how we were adopted. Second, we're going to consider the nature of our adoption. And third, we're going to get into some of the blessings of our adoption. And if we get just a taste of the truth of these things, we will know with utter certainty that God is our Father and that He loves us dearly. So that's what we're aiming for this evening. Now, with that said, if you would and are able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. The Apostle Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our most loving heavenly father, we come before you now and ask for you to shower us, your children, with grace to understand your word. By the spirit of adoption who has been placed into our hearts, open your word to us that we might believe it, rejoice in it, and walk in all that it says. Help us to get a glimpse of your great love for us and seal it to our hearts. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, our text begins with a word of praise from the Apostle Paul. Right out of the gates of this letter to the Ephesians, Paul cannot contain himself, and he tells us that God is to be praised. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, I recognize blessed be our, the God of, our God and Father. I, I get that. Uh, I say blessed because I grew up in a King James church. You're going to have to deal with it. I say blessed every other time, except for when I'm reading the Bible, deal with it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is telling us that our God is to be blessed. That is, we are to bless Him. Now, a quick word about that. When humans bless God, to bless means to speak highly of, to speak a good word, to speak good things. To bless God means that we are to praise Him and glorify Him with our words. We're to speak highly of Him. Now, when God blesses us, he speaks good words about us, and then they happen to us because of the divine word, the divine command. But we cannot change God, right? He's immutable. We can't add to him. We can't give him anything that he doesn't already possess, right? So we don't bless him like he blesses us. So our blessing means to praise him. Just real quick there. Whenever the Bible tells you to bless the Lord, it's praise him. Speak highly of him. But why should we praise God? Well, there are many reasons in general. And Paul, in this 
big, huge sentence in the original language that goes from verse 3 to verse 14 tells us a ton of reasons why we should praise God. But for our purposes this evening, I want us to focus on verse 5 and the blessing mentioned there. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Paul says that's why you should bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul is writing to professing believers, and Paul gives these professing believers uh, the benefit of the doubt that they are indeed truly Christians. So what Paul says here to the Ephesians, he says to all believers, and he says we are to bless God because he predestined us for adoption. Now this word predestined in the original means to mark out beforehand. To mark out beforehand. To predestine someone means to mark them out and distinguish them from a larger group for some purpose. And it means that you do this prior to something else. Right? Predestined. You do it before something. And in verse 4, we read that God chose us. He marked us out from the rest of humanity before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. So Christian, hear me. God chose you. He marked you out. He set you apart from the rest of humanity before the world began. Before there was time, he marked you out. This means that he chose you by grace. I'm gonna, by the way, I'm gonna beat that drum about a hundred times in this sermon. He chose you by grace. Now grace means unmerited favor, as Paul says in Romans 3, as we saw last week. Grace is a gift. And clearly, God chose you apart from any merit or anything you've done because you did not even exist yet when he chose you. Again, he did this before the foundation of the world. Let me be clear. God did not choose you because of anything he saw in you. Contrary to our Arminian friends, God did not choose you because he saw that you would choose him. That makes it a moot point, by the way. We can talk about that later. He did not choose you because he foresaw that you would choose him. He did not choose you because he thought that you could be useful to him in some way. He did not choose you because of any abilities or choices that you would one day manifest. He simply chose you, according to verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. Please hear me. If he chose you for any reason in you or because of any choice you were going to make or anything that you were going to do in the future, then it is no longer by grace that he chose you. Rather, it's, it's then by some merit or deserving in you. But that's not what the text says. It's just not. God simply chose you before time began out of sheer grace. So God first chose to create you and then chose to mark you out from the rest of humanity. And he set you apart for a purpose. And our text says, he set you apart for adoption to himself as sons. Christian, you were chosen by God for adoption, predestined by God the Father for adoption. Chosen before time itself existed that you would be brought into his family. 
brought into his household. You were chosen by God the Father because he desired to become your father. Let me say that again. Some of us need to get this into our souls, mainly me. God chose us. God the Father chose us because he wanted to become our father personally. You were chosen by grace alone to be adopted and receive the title and rights of true sonship from God the Father. That, says the apostle, is why God chose you. But maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, but I thought that God predestined us for salvation. Right? I thought we were predestined for salvation. Well, you're right about that. But adoption is part of salvation. Right? Adoption is part of salvation. You see, salvation is actually an insanely broad word in the Bible. And our salvation is made up of many parts. There are many components in salvation when you think about it broadly. When God chooses to save someone, just give me a moment, we're going to walk through this for a second. When God chooses to save someone, there are many things involved that he does to them. Right? First, he predestines them for salvation before the world began. And then he brings the outward call of the gospel to their ears through some kind of a preacher. He then, by the Holy Spirit, brings the inward call of the gospel to the heart. Then, by the Spirit again, God works spiritual life in the dead heart of the sinner, regenerates them, and gives them new desires and the gift of faith. And then with these new desires, the believer calls upon Christ in faith, and God unites the sinner to Christ, they receive Christ and his righteousness and are thus justified by God, that is declared righteous in God's sight. Then this person is adopted into God's family and made a son of God with all kinds of spiritual blessings. Then begins the life of sanctification, where God begins to work holiness and practical righteousness in the believer. And then at either death or the return of Christ, the person receives glorification, where the sin nature is completely removed, and they live in eternal righteousness and perfect fellowship with God. And then finally, on the last day, God resurrects the body of the believer and unites it back to his soul, and then the believer lives forever in eternal glory in the new heavens and the new earth in a perfect glorified body, living with God face to face. That, brothers and sisters, I know that was a lot, but that is the big picture of the word salvation. So yes, we were predestined for salvation. That's what it means to be predestined for adoption. Only those who are adopted are going to be saved. So when the apostle says you were predestined for adoption, it does indeed mean that you were predestined for salvation because you can't be saved without being adopted. Those who are chosen believe in Christ, and those who believe in Christ are united to him by faith. As Paul says in verse 3, we are in Christ. We receive him and all the spiritual blessings that come from him, and those blessings include the blessing of adoption. So we're justified by faith in Christ, and then in that same moment of justification, we receive the spirit of adoption, that is the Holy Spirit. Right? God predestined us to be saved. So then he predestined us for adoption as well. That's what I'm getting at. And why does he do that? Because it's his family that he fully and finally saves. It is his family that he desires to be with forever. So Christian, you were chosen by God for adoption into his family. And I want you to notice something. Paul says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. 
how did he, how did he adopt you? In love, he predestined us <clears throat> for adoption. What I'm getting at here is it was not arbitrary. It was not arbitrary. It wasn't, well, I'll save these ones. No, God did not roll some heavenly dice, and as the lot fell, that person was chosen for adoption and salvation. That's not how it worked. It wasn't random. It wasn't random at all. The apostle says he chose in love. Brothers and sisters, this means that before the world began, God loved you. Before the world began, God loved you. And he chose you by name. He chose you specifically. You were not a nameless, faceless mass in his holy mind. You were you. Warts and all. You were you, and he chose you in love because he loved you. And because he loved you, he set his sights on you to save you. And more than that, he set his sights on making you his child. And listen, he doesn't miss. When God sets his sights, his aim is true. When he purposes to do something in his secret counsel, he does it. So Christian, you are indeed his child. Please hear me. He loves you. He loves you. Right, of all people, I know Calvinists are often known for being like the frowny-faced, grumpy people in the Christian community. He loved us before time began. Be happy. He loves you. And He has loved you from eternity past. Again, and so in that eternal love of God, He chose you to become His own child. He chose to adopt you and bring you in. But maybe you're sitting here asking the great question. Me and my mother talk about this all the time because it seems to always be on my mom's mind. But why does he love me? Why does he love me? Why did he choose me? That's the great question, isn't it? Let me give you the only answer you'll find for that in the Bible that I'm aware of. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Here's your answer. Why does he love you? Why did he choose you? It's because he wanted to. It was according to the purpose of his will, period. He just wanted to. He wanted to do it. He delighted in doing it. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. So if He does it, He was pleased to do it. Brothers and sisters, God loves you simply because He loves you. That's all that we got. Why? Because He does. And He chose you simply because it brought Him pleasure to do so. Now, we don't know anything beyond that. We just know that he chose us completely and utterly according to his sovereign grace. It was nothing in us. It was all his doing and his pleasure because he loves us. And in verse 6, we read also that he chose us to the praise of his glorious grace. Again, it was all of pure grace that we might praise him forever for showing unworthy sinners such kindness. So there's the answer. Why did he choose you? Why did he love you? 
He chose us because he loves us. Because he wanted to. And so we would forevermore marvel at his glorious grace. So just real quick, early application. Praise him. Praise him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loves you and he chose you. Praise him. We are the recipients of grace upon grace that we in eternity will still never get to the bottom of. Praise him. So we're adopted because in love, God the Father chose us for it and all by pure grace. But how? Were we adopted? What I mean, I'm switching gears a bit here. What was the mechanism by which we were adopted? What happened that resulted in our adoption? And Paul tells us in verse 5, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. It is because of Christ that we are adopted. It is because of him. Because of the work that he did on our behalf, we have become the children of God. It is because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are made into children of God. Consider this. God is perfectly holy and righteous. We hear this all the time, right? Amen. He is perfectly holy and righteous. And so it makes sense then that only holy and righteous ones can constitute his family. Why do I say that? God has no fellowship with sin. God has no fellowship with sin. He hates it. He cannot bear to look upon it. And if you want to know how much God hates sin, look at the cross. When sin was imputed to the account of His only begotten Son, God mercilessly punished Him in place of guilty sinners. God hates sin. So then, if we are to be made into the children of God, if we are to be adopted into His family, our sins must be removed. And we must be made positively righteous in His sight. If we are to be made children of God, we must first cease to be children of God's wrath. As Paul speaks of in Ephesians 2, 3. And it is the Lord Jesus who accomplished this for us. It was Jesus who took our sins upon himself, having them credited to his account at the cross and paid for them by his blood. It was Jesus who satisfied the wrath of God that stood against us for our sin. It was Christ who cleansed us from our wickedness by his blood. It was Jesus who removed our guilt and our sin from us at the cross. And it was Jesus' righteousness that was credited to our account the moment we believed. It was Jesus' perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience that we received when we received him by faith. It is because of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection that we've been declared righteous in God's sight and so made clean so that God is now able to adopt us into his family without compromising himself, without compromising his holiness. You could say that we were justified through the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we could be adopted. Justification is not an end. It is a means to an end. Our receiving reconciliation with God is a means to an end. Our receiving a declaration of righteousness from God is a means to an end. And maybe multiple ends. I know there's one big one and it's final salvation and enjoying God forever. But one of the ends of our justification is that we would be adopted. Again, we were brought into right standing with God so we could then become members of his family. 
His family must be righteous. And through the true Son of God, Jesus Christ, sinners are made righteous and received into the family by God the Father. But even more than that, we are adopted because we are in Him. In Him. Because we are in Christ, as Paul speaks about in verse 3. Paul says that we are blessed by the Father in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And adoption is a spiritual blessing. So then, it is by our union with Christ, being united to Christ by faith, that we receive adoption. You could put it this way. Our sonship comes to us through His true sonship that we have received by being united to Him by faith. Let me flesh this out. When we believe on Christ, we are united together with Him. As Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, we are united together with Him. And being united to Him, here's the, here, this is important, union with Christ means that we receive Christ and all that belongs to Him with the exception of those things that are unique to Him as God. We call those the incommunicable attributes of God. There are certain things about God that we can never have, but everything else that belongs to Christ becomes ours when we're united to Him by faith. And one of the things that Jesus possesses in His human nature is perfect sonship. Perfect sonship. Now, He also has this in a divine sense as well as the eternal Son of God and second person of the Trinity. But in His human nature... As the last Adam, Jesus is the Son of God like Adam was. And I'm referring to the genealogy in Luke 3. Jesus is the perfect human Son as well as the perfect divine Son. And His perfect Sonship in His human nature is given to us when we are united to Him by faith. So then, through faith, we receive that Sonship and are adopted by God. And hear me. With regards to Christ's human nature, we become just as much of a son of God as Jesus Christ is. I want you to see that your adopted status in God's family is only by the person and work of Jesus Christ. See that, if nothing else. If I lost you on that last point, that's okay. You'll get there one day. It's only through Christ that we're adopted into the family of God. It is through Him alone Jesus has done it all according to the plan and predestining grace of the Father and all in love for us. So let me summarize now what we've seen so far. God chose us before time began and he chose us to be adopted into his family by faith in Jesus Christ who did the work by which we are adopted. God desired to be our father by pure grace and so he worked our redemption through his son so we could become his children. This is amazing stuff. This is amazing stuff right off the bat in this letter. This love is unimaginable. This is grace without measure. This is love that, that surpasses our understanding that God would love us like this, those of us who have offended him. But now having seen how we have been adopted by grace through faith in Christ, let's consider the second heading, the nature of this adoption. What is the nature of our adoption? Right? What I mean is, what is it like? What's, our, what's, our, what's it like? And I think we see from this text 
and applying our thinking to it, at least three things. I'm sure there are more, but three things uh, became apparent to me. First, we have to recognize that our adoption into God's family is not natural. Right? Like, is any adoption natural? No. Adoption, by definition, is unnatural. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Let me, let me flesh that out for a second. When you adopt a child, you're taking someone who is not your natural child and bringing them into your family. It's not natural. That's why we make a distinction. This is an adopted child. This is, an unnatural, this is a natural child. And that doesn't mean that the adopted child is any less a part of the family than the natural child. It just means he got there a different way. Right? That's all that we're getting at. The adopted child is every bit a member of the family as the natural child. He just got there in a different way. And our adoption is the same. It is not natural. We are not naturally part of God's family. Naturally, we are children of wrath and sons of disobedience, following Satan rather than God. Like the apostle says, I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Speaking to all believers, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We are naturally, the way we were born, being born into sin with hearts turned away from God, born into depravity and sin, we are by nature children of wrath. Whose wrath? God's. Born under wrath. Born heading for hell. By nature we are not his children, but rather enemies of God and hostile to him. Again, Romans 8, for the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to him. Indeed, it cannot. Paul says, you hate God. In your unconverted state, you are hostile to him. So we are naturally destitute, dirty, awful, and wicked. We naturally have no spiritual hope. By nature, we do not have God as our father. God is not your natural father. Now listen, yes, in, he is our creator, and in that sense, as creatures of the Creator, He is our common Father, right? He made us, but not in a true, loving, intimate, fatherly sense. That we're not hippies. That we're all children of God, man. Well, in one sense, but really not really. We're children of the wrath of God. We are born under His wrath. But by His grace alone, we who believe in Christ are supernaturally adopted and supernaturally made into children of God. So our adoption is not natural since we are not his natural children. And this, why am I bringing this up? This reinforces the point again that our adoption is by grace. Right? Dave, you're being a bit redundant. Paul says it's to the praise of his glorious grace. Keep beating the drum. It's by grace. It is a pure gift that we have become God's children. It's not owing to anything in us. We did not deserve such kindness to be shown to us. It wasn't that we were neutral orphans in an orphanage asking God, will you be my father? It was, I hate you and I'd kill you if I could. And he says, I want to take that one home. That's grace. That's grace. This is all the initiative 
of the God who loved us and wanted to be our Father. It's grace. But I want you to see this as well. Our adoption is not natural and it's not necessary either. Our adoption is not necessary. What do I mean? God did not have to adopt us in order to save us. This blew my mind as I was studying this this past week. He didn't have to adopt you in order to save you. He could have predestined you only to be justified and forgiven of your sins and then ended it there. He did not logically have to bring you into his family. He could have just saved us and then said, away with you, I will save your soul, and now you will obey me like a slave and a master. But beyond that, I don't want, to rela- I don't want any relationship with you. I'm your saving God. You're my obedient servant. That's it. Have a great day. And that still would have been grace upon grace. That would have been way more than we could have ever hoped for. But in mind-blowing grace, he wanted to adopt us. There's literally no other reason for him to adopt us. He could have saved us. He could have justified us. He could have given us the righteousness of Christ and not given us sonship. He actually desires to have us near to him. He actually desires to have intimate fellowship with us. He desires us to call him father and view our relationship to him as that of a father and a son. He desires to be a father to us and not only our God whom we fear. He did not have to adopt us in order to save us, but he wanted to. So Christian, how can you ever think that he doesn't love you? How can you ever doubt whether or not he loves you? How can you ever think that he doesn't want anything to do with you? He chose to adopt you when he didn't even have to do that to save you. But he wanted to shower you with love and so he made you his child. Another point, our adoption, what's it like? What's the nature of it? It's familial and not judicial. And what I mean is that our adoption has to do with love and not justice. As the apostle said, I know these are all stepping on each other a bit, just bear with me. The apostle says, in love he predestined us for adoption. Now he justified us according to justice. You ever thought about that? It was according to justice. I'm not, not denying grace, but I'm saying justification is a legal declaration of righteousness. It has to do with the heavenly courtroom where the work of Christ was credited to our account so that God could justly in his court declare our relationship to his law was one of perfect obedience. Justification has to do with justice. But adoption has everything to do with the love of God. It's not about justice, it's about love. As the great Presbyterian minister Joel Beakey said, adoption brings us from the courtroom into the family. From the courtroom into the family. In our adoption, which by the way happens the moment we are justified, in our adoption it's as if, it's as if God the judge steps down from his judgment seat, approaches our table and signs our adoption papers. And the God whom we've sinned against, who was just a moment ago our dread judge, now picks us up in his arms and takes us home with him. 
having dealt with our sin and his son, our judge now becomes our father. Having dealt with us in Christ on the grounds of justice and our legal standing with him, God now approaches us with the warm, open arms of a father, and he makes his former enemies into his children. And the only motivation here is love. There is no other motivation. We are adopted according to love and not justice. Third, or rather fourth point, our adoption is eternal. Brothers and sisters, our sonship, our adoption is forever. It doesn't change. It does not waver. It is immovable. And it's unchanging. Why? Well, because like our justification, it is rooted in the work of God and not us. As the great Baptist theologian James P. Boyce said, adoption is an everlasting sonship because its continuance depends not upon what we do and are, but upon what he has done and is. Your adoption doesn't depend upon you. It depends upon God. And God has done it all for us through Jesus Christ, and he is faithful to his children. To my knowledge... There is no scripture anywhere in the book that even hints at the idea that one can go from being adopted by God through faith in Christ to being cast out by God. I challenge you, show me a text that says you can be unadopted. It doesn't exist. Quite the opposite. There is text after text, line upon line, that gives witness to the exact opposite. God gives his gifts by grace and he does not change his mind. He is our Father forever. Consider this by way of illustration. My kids are my kids. Piper will never not be my daughter. Ever. I'll fight you about that. Piper will never cease to be my kid. She will not be my child today, but then do something tomorrow that makes her not my child. That is not how this works. She just objectively is mine. She is mine, and that will not and cannot change. Nothing she does can ever change that. So how much more with God? I am more likely to disown my child than the immutable God is to change his relationship with us. Surely, we sinners are not better, more loving, more faithful, more patient parents than God is. Surely we're not. Don't blaspheme him like that and think you're a better parent than he is. He is our father forever, by grace. So hear me, once someone by true faith in Jesus, I'm not talking about the, the, the truckloads of false professors in the world, but I'm talking about those who have true faith in Christ. Once you are adopted into his family, you are forever in his family. And nothing will change that because he does not change. Praise him for this. He has adopted you and it will not change. If you are a son of God through Christ, then you are a son forever. Our adoption is eternal. But having considered now the glorious nature of our adoption, let's turn now to our third heading, which are the blessings of our adoption. Now just real quick, this list is not even remotely exhaustive. Uh, I wanted to give you about 12 things. You're welcome. 
I'm going to give you five, I think it was. Read chapter 12 of our confession of adoption. It's real easy to remember. Chapter 12 of adoption. It's one paragraph long. It's beautiful. And it covers more than what I can say now. So I just want to consider a few things briefly for the sake of time. What blessings do we receive because we've been adopted? What are the blessings of our adoption? First, by nature of our adoption, we have the name of God put upon us. We have his name. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That we should be called. Our Father calls us his children. What do I mean? He puts his name on us. He says, those are my kids. He owns us. And when I say owns, I don't just mean that as in we are his possession. When I say owns, I mean it like a Puritan, right? When we disown someone, what are we doing? We're saying, I don't know him, right? I've disowned him. I don't, I don't have any dealings with that person. But when we own someone, we say, I know him. And I don't care who knows it. We own that person publicly. We say, I am glad to tell everyone I know him. And in the same way, God puts his name on us and now owns us, having been adopted by him. He looks upon us and says, that one is mine. He says, that one is my child. He says, I know him and I know her and I am not ashamed to say it. These are my children. Christian, God has put his name upon you. Hear me, you sinned. And it's not okay. And you need to repent. But he is still not ashamed of you. He says you're his. He would not call you his children if it were not true. You're his. He put his name on you. Just like when we adopt a child, we put our last name on the child so that everyone knows that kid belongs to us. God does the same. You are his special possession, and he is proud to be your father. Not because of anything in you, but by grace. And he delights in claiming you as his own. Isn't that amazing? Because what is there in us that would make anyone delight in claiming us? And yet the God who knows us better than we know ourselves says, that one's mine. Second blessing. In our adoption, we are made sons and not slaves we're made sons. Again, we receive our adoption as sons, the apostle says in our text. Now hear me out. Yes, God is our master, and yes, we obey him, and in that sense, we are his servants. In that sense, we are his slaves, but in another sense, we are sons. We are brought into the house and treated by the Almighty as sons. Please hear me. Our relationship to God is not that of slave and master, but rather that of father and son. In our adoption, he grants us a new relationship to him that is not like our old one that we had when we were his enemies. It is substantially different. Yes, we still fear God, but not with the fear of a slave. I hope you don't anyway, because you're a son. 
We don't fear him with the fear of a slave. You see, a slave fears that the master will be harsh. The slave fears punishment. And so the slave shows respect and obedience out of raw fear. But a son fears the father like a son. With a loving respect. With an obedience born out of love for the father who has been so kind. Right, this is how I hope that my daughter obeys me as she gets older. I want to obey him. Why? Because my dad is there for me. Because my dad helps me. Because my dad does things for me. Because my dad hears me when I need someone to talk to. Because my dad gives me good counsel. That's why I want Piper to obey me, not because I think he'll whip me if I don't. I mean, that's in the back somewhere, but that's not what I want on the front end. I want her to obey me because she fears me like a daughter. So we, are to have a, we have a son-like fear of God. We respect and obey him, not out of fear of punishment, but because we know he loves us and we love him too. Our relationship is different now. We want to obey him, not in order to avoid wrath, or to make ourselves presentable or lovely to him, but rather because my father said so. Because my father said so. We look at the law of God and say, law, I will obey you, but not to try to save myself. Not because I fear damnation, because Christ has already taken that away from me, but law, I will obey you because my father has told me to. And I love my father. That's the fear of a son. That's how we obey. And we repent, not out of slavish fear of damnation, but rather we repent because I want to be close to my father. We have a different relationship, and our motivations have changed because of this new relationship. We are no longer slaves, but sons. We now have an intimacy with God. We now call upon him knowing that he loves us. And hear me, we now say he is my father and not just the father. I'm a son. A third blessing, by nature of our adoption, we receive assurance of our salvation. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself, the Spirit of adoption, who is the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Having received the Holy Spirit when we were adopted, we no longer fear wrath because the Spirit reminds us that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, that is us, that we are God's children. So as we read the word and hear the preaching of the word, as we pray, as we come to baptism and the Lord's table, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And he says, these promises are for you. These promises are for you. This grace that you've heard of and seen is yours. You are a child of God. He is your father. You belong to him. You are safe from all spiritual harm. Your sins are forgiven. You're clean. You're new. You are his. The Holy Spirit witnesses these things to you. He speaks to each one of God's children and reminds us of what we are and what we have as sons. 
so we do not fear, but rather we cry, Father! And we rejoice in our assurance that the Spirit gives us. Fourth blessing, because of our adoption, God now pities us as his children. This is one of my favorites. He pities us. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God has mercy on us. He is moved to help us in all our weaknesses. Just like a father comes to the aid of his own earthly children, so God helps us. Just as a father would do anything for the good of his children, so God moves heaven and earth in order to do good for us. Just as a father is patient with his children, God is infinitely more patient with us. Just as a father is tender with his children, so God deals sweetly with us. I want you to know this, Christian. God is not harsh with us. He's not. Maybe you think he is because you've just got a bad view in your head, but he's not harsh with us. He's our father. Even in his disciplining us, it is still far less than we deserve. And his discipline is not punitive. It's not just for the sake of punishing us. Rather, it's for our good to bring us to repentance. He's training us. He's not harsh. He pities us and he shows compassion to us because we are his children. Brothers and sisters, he loves us. He loves you. Specifically, you. He has compassion on you. He pities you. He helps you. He chose you. Why would he not do the rest? Why would he adopt you into his family if he wasn't then going to be a true father who pities his children? That's nonsense, right? He's not a deadbeat dad. He doesn't bring you into his family and then says, I have no compassion on this one. That's nonsense. He cares for you. He has compassion and love for you that knows no bounds. And fifth blessing, and it's our last one before we get into application. Because of our adoption, God never casts us off. I know I said this earlier, but let's hear it again because we need to hear it. He may discipline us, even severely, but we are never cast off. God speaks to Israel in the context of, he's judging them really hard in the book of Isaiah. And in chapter 49, verse 15, he says this. It's one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. He's speaking to a nation he's judging. He's speaking to his covenant people under the old covenant. He's saying, I won't forget you. Am I judging you? Yes. Am I punishing you? Yes. Am I disciplining you? Yes. But I will not forget you. A mother will forget her child before I forget you. He will not cast us off. No sin you commit, no weakness, no failure, no nothing can ever make you cease being God's child. Again, it's because your adoption is not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon Him. Please believe this. You were not adopted because of your works. You were not adopted because of anything in you. So you will not be unadopted because of something in you. A child of God is a child forever. And please know this. God knew what He was signing up for when He adopted you. He knew. He knew what He was getting. 
He knew who he was adopting. Your sins are not a surprise to him. Your weaknesses are not shocking to him. He knew you better than you know you, and he adopted you anyway. He's not going to cast you off. You will not be forsaken. In light of this, let me say two things here for application, two things. One, Christian, through faith in Christ, you are objectively a son of God. Everything that I've said this evening and more is yours already. Take it. Believe it. Rejoice in it. Be glad. It's yours. You, there's no striving to then become a son. It's not, it's not second level, like next level, I'm a super Christian. No. You have all of these things. They're already yours in Christ. You are blessed beyond your wildest dreams. So believe it and rejoice. And if you're not a believer, these things can be yours if you will repent and believe upon Christ. Repent and believe. Call upon Him and you will join the family. But know that apart from Christ, you do remain under the wrath of God. But in Christ, you become a child of God. Believe upon Him and receive this sonship. And second and lastly, Christian, please know this. In light of all of these things, God does not tolerate you. He loves you. Don't ever think that he just tolerates you. Even on your worst day, when you've sinned the greatest, he loves you. He loves you. He doesn't put up with you. He delights in you. He wants you. I want to be clear, he doesn't need you. But he wants you. And doesn't that make it even more glorious? Don't ever doubt that he loves you. Because he adopted you. And as long as he delights in his son, he also delights in you, his adopted son. So in closing, say this to yourself every day. Here it is. He is not just God the Father. He is God my Father. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God and Father. It is a sweet thing to be able to address you as our Father. We who were once your enemies are now brought into your family through Christ, and we thank you. God, seal these truths to our hearts. Help us to believe. Help us to rejoice. Help us to have assurance, believing your promises, believing that your word is true, believing that we are eternal sons through Christ. Teach us to rejoice. Teach us to not doubt your faithfulness. Grant us assurance that comes from knowing that we are your children now because you've called us such. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.